This show is brought to you by Brain First Training Institute, ICF accredited coach certifications and applied neuroscience training. To become a brain-based coach, get certified in applied neuroscience and stay up to date with what's happening in the world of applied neuroscience and coaching, join our Brain First community over at brainfirsttraininginstitute.com. Hey, it's Ramon and welcome to Brain Coach Radio, where we hear from expert coaches, leaders and trainers who are using applied neuroscience to help their clients get life-changing results. We discuss various coaching topics, neuroscience insights, business tips and much more, all to help you succeed. Now, let's get into the episode. No interruptions. Enjoy, my friends. Hey everyone, it's Ramon and welcome to this series on what makes a great coach. I'm here with Divya and in this episode, we're going to be talking about building rapport. Uh, I thought I'd start off actually with a definition of rapport. Uh, Obviously, in science, we like to uh, define our terms, conceptualize uh, and define our terms and really outline exactly what things mean. In this case, what does rapport mean? What is rapport? And the dictionary definition is a close and harmonious relationship in which the people or groups concerned understand each other's feelings or ideas and communicate well. So I think within that, we've got a few ideas. We've got close relationship. We've got harmonious relationship. We've got understanding each other's feelings or ideas and communicating well. So maybe we uh, start to unpack some of these as we go throughout the the, uh, episode and talk about each one of these a little bit more closely. But I think, first of all, why is um, rapport important, Divya? Why do you think rapport is important? For me, it's that ability to to obviously form a connect, right? So on top of what you've just said in terms of dictionary definition, it's it's that ability to connect with, your your client that 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 willingness to to form to form a connect so that you can actually work together um and I think it's important because you start to obviously understand each other and if you are going to actually work your work with your client to help them achieve dreams goals desires aspirations working through barriers obstacles challenges anything else that they bring to the table you have to you have to be able to build rapport so you you get them into this space of feeling comfortable Right. If I don't, if I don't feel like I'm in rapport with you, am I really going to open up to you? Am I going to be in a space of feeling like I can share my deepest, darkest secrets and fears, as well as actually celebrate my my successes and my wins with you? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's quite a bit of a process. I mean, we're going from, you know, oftentimes complete stranger to some of the the, I guess, more intimate details that you've outlined here about fears and dreams, maybe things that perhaps they haven't even told other people. Sometimes, at least in my experience, it's it's been, you know, things that they haven't even told their significant other, the person they're married to for, for 20 years, right? So these are pretty pretty sometimes intimate things. So it's a process to get there. I'm I'm reminded of way back when, you know, 20, probably 25 years ago, I think it was during sales training, um, and this was back in gym membership sales days uh, before I got into health and fitness, and part of that was building rapport. And one of the things that they used to sort of teach, I guess, is to 
when we first start building rapport, when we first do the meet and greet, before we get to the quote unquote serious stuff, is to build rapport around things like, you know, where did you go on holiday? What's your dog's name? And seemingly like pretty unrelated things, like they were just not relevant to the stuff that we're actually going to be getting to that was going to be important to them. And I always thought at the time, this is just so stupid, right? (laughs) It's almost like, so where do you live? What's your pet's name? What do you like to do? Uh, Where did you go on holiday last? Right, now that we've built rapport, let's put that aside and we'll get to asking the questions around, you know, what's important to you about that, you know, health. Like it it was just such a disconnect between the build rapport stage and the actual figuring out what the person wanted stage. What do you, uh, but it's why people talk about weather so much. Do you notice that as well? Right? Why yeah. is that conversation? Oh, weather, oh, it's hot here. It's, it's often just to get the you know conversation sort of moving and get you away from some of that awkward silence. Because there is, you know, sometimes you don't know anybody. It seems to be like the first natural thing to to just sort of bring up to get something going in the hopes that you know from there it's gonna it's gonna you know stem into something else. Mm. So do you do you start off with sort of the the I guess, lighter, perhaps often irrelevant conversation piece before you move into something deeper? Or do you have do you have specific questions that you might ask to begin with? That's a good question. Typically, um, I actually will start with something kind of trivial or or silly or, you know, something that actually highlights an incompetence of mine. <laughs> right or something that just kind of didn't work out well for me um whether it was even like you know not being able to use my coffee machine that morning and that's literally what I you know for example that's what I did on a training session earlier right there was a sort of awkward silence when I was waiting for other people to join and there legitimately was an issue I was having with my coffee machine and and not knowing how to use it and so shared that as a way of actually kind of breaking the ice but also showing some vulnerability from my side mm-hmm. right so that's I like why I do that. it yeah. you know because I feel like part of my my style of building rapport is to actually you know not come across as if I'm kind of that I know that I know everything or that I, I'm the be all and end all of whatever they need in their life right now because there is this perception that for some reason coaches have everything figured out so one of the first things that I like to do is to actually state very openly that I don't have everything figured out so that they now feel like, hey, we're actually here as two human beings, you know, wanting to actually like develop a relationship to work on something together in this sort of creative manner. So, so yeah, I do tend to start with something trivial and often something that actually puts me into a funny light so that they start to feel comfortable, right? Mm. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think that's that's a... A very, it's a far more strategic uh, thing to start with than the the stuff that I was talking about. You know, the list of mm-hmm. questions of you know what what are your kids' names, what's your dog's name, where did you go on holiday, da da da. And now we'll get to the real yeah. questions. I love that yeah. because it's got that you know that as you said the vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And when we do that kind of thing, the off that oftentimes the other person just tends to open up a lot more, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And then you don't have to ask all those box ticking questions, <laughs> yeah, <no>. right? <laughs> like literally, you can get away from that. You can actually get into the nitty gritties of what's important to that person. And, and you know, in, in any of our coaching conversations, 
often our clients are giving us so much information without even realizing that they're doing so. And it's because it occurs in this very sort of natural space, which again, to me, can only happen if you've built some rapport with them, right? For them to actually feel like, oh, I can, I can just, you know, speak openly. It's comfortable. There's flow. Like it's not, I'm not feeling pressured to show up or act a certain way or say a certain thing because, hey, Divya's not going to judge me or Ramon's not going to judge me here. It's that, it's that non-judgmental space for me to be in. Mm-hmm. Where do you think there's, surely there's got to be a line somewhere between, you know, how much we actually share as the practitioner, as the coach, Mm -hmm. there needs to be some sort of line. Where is that line for you and where do you, what are some things that you think would help coaches enable them to identify where that line is for them of how much they share of their personal lives so that, you know, you can build that connection, you can build that close and harmonious relationship without it turning into, oh, now we're just sharing stories and we're friends because this is a practitioner um, and client relationship or coach-coachee relationship. This is going to sound very silly, but, you know, more than a line for me, it's like the number of minutes. It's that three-minute mark. Like I I don't allow that to go on. For more, like, and at the very, very most, obviously, when they start sharing too, it's cut at that five minutes, right? And I'm really mindful of that. So anything, you know, like as we get into that three minute markish, I'm already like, you know, okay, in my mind, what, what do you want to focus on today? So what, you know, what would you, how would you like to use the next sixty minutes of your time? And it's another reason why, very strategically, you know, I, if I'm having a Zoom session, I log into that session typically five minutes before. And it's even in my coaching agreement, you know, it, sta- it states there that if we're having a Zoom session, the room will be open five minutes before. And it's it's for that time. It's for them to actually get successful, to just kind of have a little bit of, you know, that 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 fun sort of talk before we get into things. Mm, mm. That's, how, that's how I do it, right? It's, it's I, I'm quite of strategic with it yeah i like that setting that frame up front and i think that's that's a common theme in this coach coachee relationship isn't it when we when we frame things up front when we almost put them in the agreement then it allows us to do many things throughout the sessions and throughout building the relationship i remember something that the that i suggested the the students the applied neuroscience students do recently which is you know, say up front, particularly when it comes to this whole, you know, holistic um, approach, this integrative approach, is look, throughout our journey together, we're going to be doing some things. I'm going to be introducing some ideas and things that perhaps you've never come across before or never heard heard of before. And they might seem maybe even sometimes counterintuitive, but would it be okay if we kind of ventured off the path from time to time because I think there's going to be some areas we can dive into that are going to be very relevant and very important and really help you accomplish the things that are important to you. Would that be okay? Yes. Okay, great. Now I've got permission throughout the whole journey to bring in something that's even perhaps, you know, upon first look is, well, how does this relate to me? But I've got the permission there. I've kind of set that up front. So I I like that. Hey, we've got this five minutes up front before the call to talk about, you know, the weekend, the weather, whatever, right? Whatever, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. I love that. <laughs> right. For me, because I tend to, for, for any of my virtual sessions, because I tend to coach with my camera off, right? That's another space for us just to uh. turn the cameras on, have that little chit chat, say hello, and then, you know, and then I turn it off. And I, and I know that's something that a lot of newer coaches sort of struggle with this idea of like, well, how do you coach with your camera off? Like, we need to see this, we need to see that. But it's actually not that we need to do it. It's because we've been used to doing it that way. Or we think that, you know, that's the that's what we need to see. We need to we need to pick up on a person's body language. We need to look at their eyes. We need to, you know, pay attention to all of these other things. Not realizing that actually when you really are dialed in and also listening, you can still effectively pick up that plus so much more. But it's about listening to the pauses, listening to, you know, change in voice, right? Tonality, pitch, the speed at which they speak at the breathlessness versus, you know, maybe being really excited about something, right? The laughter, the pauses, there's so much more that you can actually pick up on. For me as well, I'm an avid note taker. So there's nothing worse than being in like a, in a face-to-face session and the coach's head is like constantly down because you're making notes, right? So me even just having that five minutes, turning on the camera at the beginning, saying, hey, you know, how are you? How was everything? Da, 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 da. And then, okay, I'm going to turn my camera off now you know, just so that I can, I can carry on taking my notes, I can actively listen to you. They kind of, people who do feel like they need the camera, they need to see the coach, you're sort of satisfying both worlds there. I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm. But to your point, you know, of like setting expectations, what people don't like is surprises or, or a lack of transparency. So what I have found is like before, I even, you know, engage in that first paid session where we have this sort of, you know, a sample session or a free session or we're getting to know each other and somebody's deciding that, okay, they want to hire you. I That's where I tend to talk about all of this, right? So it's all agreed upon at the very beginning. And then, like you said, you've got that permission throughout your entire coaching relationship then to, you know, share an observation here or tie in something else in from somewhere else because it it's going to help them you know, with the overall achievement of what they're working on. Mm-hmm. We just just uh, talking a little further about this idea of doing the sessions on the phone, uh, and and I love that. Um, I I find I'm much better actually on the phone than on a Zoom for a number of reasons. One is I can get up and walk around, and I do my best thinking when I'm walking around. The other reason for me is purely the technical aspect of it there's from time to time even with zoom and 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 how good it is there is a little bit of a delay from time to time whereas an old-fashioned phone call you don't get that it's like instant and I, i i do find that sometimes that zoom when there's that break or uh it becomes a little pixelated or there's a slight delay or you start talking over one another it's just and, and when you're in the flow of conversation, those microsecond moments where there's there is that delay can actually really interrupt uh, that that whole flow of conversation. And I, I don't want that, particularly when when we're right into that, you know, we're right into the depths of it, really mm-hmm. in the zone, and then something comes along and yeah, and something comes along and there's a little glitch. I'm like. Yeah. Oh, what was that? What did you say? What? Or you start yeah. talking over the, each gone. other, <laughs> and it's gone. <laughs> and it's gone. That's it. Yeah, and yeah. I, and and it's something about, uh, of course, I think removing the senses, which 
at least in my experience, and, and tell me what your experience has been, that for the majority, the vast majority of people, not having to look and engage, look at the other person on Zoom, where they can just shut the senses out other than hearing, does mm-hmm. enable them to get to the place that we need to get them to, sometimes often much faster. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, and the thing is, you know, even if we are face-to-face, right, in a face-to-face situation, if I'm looking at you, Ramon, and I'm talking, I'm looking at you, right? I'm not then seeing myself in that sense. So it becomes really unnatural. Like, even if you think I'm really focused and I'm only listening to what the other person is saying, your eyes, like you said, it's turning off the other senses because your eyes are still going back to, oh, God, do I look like this? Or did I do that? Am I moving my hands too much? you know go back and forth a lot and then you start becoming really really conscious of those things and not paying attention to what's actually going on you know for your for your client and how do you then how do you then listen deeply in an undistracted way right if you've got four levels of listening and the fourth one is that that deep listening and and you're supposed to be undistracted well how how do you do that if like right now I'm looking at the books in the background on your shelf, or I'm looking at the plant you have. You know, I'm, I'm looking at your artwork. Like it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, yeah. I am distracted, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and our and our brain has evolved to pick up details and movement and and new and novel things in the environment. So right now, as I'm looking at you, I can see a picture of myself above you, like a video of myself above you on the Zoom. I can see yeah. the video of myself again above that in the camera behind the laptop. Yeah. I've got all these things going on and it actually takes a lot of, it's a lot of mental energy to tune that out. And particularly for people where, you know, they might border on, uh, you know, not necessarily have an intentional disorder, but they border on being just easily distracted as most of us often are. It's, 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 it's another challenge, right? So I think removing all those distractions is a, is a absolutely a great idea. And, and so that and that's by the way how I position it with my clients, right? Even when they say, "Well, that's really odd. Like, why are we doing it that way?" But again, when when you explain it, it there really is then no question. It's just that I I don't want to be distracted as you're sharing, you know, your goals with me or as you're talking. And so the you know the the least distractions possible, the better. And when see, and, and that's why that five minutes again, just turning the camera on so they're satisfied, they're happy, they see that, and then we turn it off. Is it works really, really well? Yeah, I, I love that. That that's such a, it's such a like it's a ninja hack. <laughs> it's a ninja move. Turn it on, have them satisfied. They've got the visual yeah. right now. Now yeah. now let's get to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And they yeah, call it a divya hack, okay? Divya a divya hack. hack, not a ninja. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so what um what what are some of the things that we need to be careful of when we are starting to build rapport and, and build this close relationship? Well, I think one of the ones that you've touched on at the beginning is sort of over talking, right? And those right where those where those kind of boundaries are, you know what makes this a coaching conversation versus just a nice sort of chit chat that we're having sharing stories, right? And, you know, I've, I've had to tell some of my fellow sort of mentees and students and coaches to say, you know, if you find that you're doing that and where this, this is where that sort of self-evaluation, self-assessment, self-awareness comes in, 
like, am I talking too much? Am I saying too much? And if you find that that is what's happening, it's, you know, you might even have to actually put a post-it on your screen saying, shut up. Or just you know, like eighty twenty, like some of the you know what I mean, just to remind you, yeah. don't but ask your question and pause. And literally, some of my some of my coaches and mentees have done things like that, and they come back and say to me, you know, it sounded really silly. Like I laughed when you said that, but it worked because it just reminded me, you know, it's about it's about them, it's not about me. And again, back to obviously the basics, right? We already know that, but it's so easy to get pulled into, you know just the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And then it's so hard to like come back on track again. So I do find, you know, having some of your own sort of guidelines in place of actually what am I doing where, you know, especially at the beginning when you're trying to find a rhythm for for how you're for how you're coaching and what you're doing. And I think for a lot of new coaches, there's there's so much pressure that they tend to put on themselves that the person has to like me. I have to make progress. I've got to do this. I've got to make sure I'm, you know, I'm giving them value. I'm giving them value. And even, you know, our sense of what giving them value is, is sometimes so different or is often so different to, to the real value that even your client has taken away from that session, right? I was in a session earlier and I know I was kind of thinking, oh, the session's sort of going and, and are they getting the most out of it? And it's so easy to allow that sort of, you know, chit chatter to kind of enter your head as well. And then again, you're, you're not being in the moment, right? You're being distracted. But there was one question that I asked and in doing that, she was just like, oh, that's just made my entire hour worth it. And I was like, well, that was just one question though, <laughs> right? And I realized like, Dida, you've got to just shut shut down that that chatter in your in your own head that you need to be delivering something specific because we just don't know what our client's going to get from it. And again, the minute you start doing that, you're being absent and not present, right? Not in that in that moment. So I think I think that's one thing. You know, another thing that I hear with building rapport a lot is this, this idea of mirroring and matching your client. And it's so, this idea is so overused and so misunderstood, I feel, right, that, you know, it ends up, you can end up coming across like you're mimicking your client. Like, and I've seen it being done so wrongly, you know, like these, these basics, or if your client picks up, if, you know, if they pick up a glass to drink, a glass of water, or have a sip of water, do the same thing. If they lean forward, do the same thing. If they go back, do the, and it's like, like no, like, I, I really feel like to build rapport, you've got to do what also feels natural. But it's also to be aware of, you know, is my is my is my um is my building rapport actually working here, or is it not? And if it's not, then it's to quickly change it, right? Not to keep doing what you've been doing, and then and then it and then you feel like you're actually creating more distance. If that makes sense, you know, you have to. You've got to be like, oh, am I going off on a tangent here? Okay, maybe let's let me ask another question that's going to bring it back to my client, right? And and often a, a good way I think to build rapport is keep keep flipping it back on your client and and make it about them. Yeah. So you learn more, right? Yeah, you learn yeah. more. About them. Let's. Uh, I, I want to touch on this mirroring and matching idea for a moment, <laughs> guys. Our brains. Ah, oh, I'm reminded of <laughs> last night we. Um, we go for a walk, uh, I don't know, I think it was about six o'clock or something like that, through the park, end of the day, and there's lots of birds around and possums and, and sometimes there's the occasional rat. And we're walking along along the path and my brain just picked up this tiny little dark shadow off into the corner. I look over and about 
five meters away, there's a rat over to the side. And <laughs> and um, uh, Camilla turns to me and says, "Like, how did you how did you like see that?" I said, "Because like my brain is just constantly scanning the environment for things." Like that, that is a built-in evolutionary mechanism that enabled us to survive. We all have that. And so we're always picking up all these little subtle cues and, and things. And our brain is constantly trying to predict the very next moment and relate it to previous experience. So if something feels slightly off, and I think it was um, uh, David Rock from Neuroleadership Institute said this, that in the absence of a safe and uh, a safe social interaction, the brain is going to generate a threat response. So if there's not a safe social interaction, if we don't feel there's a safe social interaction, if our brain is picking up that something's different in relation to what it should be or how it's previously been, then a threat response, this survival mechanism, will be, uh, um, will, will be engaged. And what that basically means is that the, our brain is going to tag this stimulus with either good or bad, and that's going to prompt us to engage or disengage. So if, it, if we get a threat response, we get high levels of arousal, sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight response. And you can think of this in like the, the, the social context. When that happens, we want to disengage. That's it. It's actually working completely against what we're trying to accomplish. And it's weird, isn't it? Like when we see it, we're thinking, what is this person doing? I'm now no longer engaged. I'm now thinking, what's going on here? And they're making fun of me or mm. like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I remember meeting somebody at a networking event. This is a good number of years ago. And I just remember being really kind of just put off and, and actually somewhat freaked out because obviously somebody had told this gentleman that you need to, you, you, you know, you need to like maintain eye contact and so what this person was doing is when they were talking to me, yeah, coming and like just staring <laughs> right like this close to me. And I was like, you know, like really, really uncomfortable. I've never met this person before. And he was like, oh, you know, I am this and I do sales. And in sales, you know, we, do, we are encouraged to mirror and match the person. And I was like, oh, my God, this is like the freakiest thing that I am witnessing at the moment. And it really put me off. Like I never... I, I, and he he wanted me to come in and do some coaching for his team. I never even contacted him. I'm like, no, no, no. This is it's very like it just you know made me feel ugh, and doesn't disengage myself entirely. I was like, no, this is this is not working. Yeah, so, yeah. no, no. Um, <laughs> one of the other things I, I really want to talk about when it comes to the social brain and particularly uh, this idea of the threat response is looking for opportunities to. Uh, mitigate this threat response and and look for opportunities to increase reward, um, let, let, let's call them engagement behaviors or engaging behaviors. So the, our brain or our coach's brain can tag this thing as good. It feels good. Um, actually, I'm reminded of this study by Gordon. And actually, I've got the, uh, I've got the quote somewhere here. paper right here. Here we go. Uh, yeah, this was out of a, a, a paper, an integrative neuroscience platform, application to profiles of negativity and positivity bias. Uh, Gordon says, brainstem limbic networks process threat and reward cues within a fifth of a second. 
right, a fifth of a second. And what that really means is that we have this continuous below consciousness reflexive system that kind of guides our behavior. And this is this is the idea behind the threat response. So when it comes to the social context, you know, we've talked about uh, a bit about relatedness. Are you like me? If that's the case, then the brain's going to tag it as good and it's going to prompt us to engage. So that's going to very much support this idea of spending a few minutes uh, engaging with the person, uh, getting on the same level, the start of, of building that rapport. But one of the other things I think is really important, and I know you've had uh, quite a bit of experience with clients in, in this department, is the threat to uh, or the potential threat to significance or status. And I think we often see this in more of the executive type coaching world where we know that when there's a threat to significance or status, the brain's going to tag that situation as bad and the person's going to disengage. So we want to somehow avoid or mitigate the potential threats to someone's significance or status. What what have your experiences been in this department and how have you approached this to avoid threats to status or significance or even finding opportunities to to um you know to boost status or significance in a way that's going to be helpful to the the interaction and see i think this is where actually picking up on on sort of the things that are important important to individuals like i i've worked with some pretty i don't how do i put this nicely <laughs> people who yeah, people people who really think a lot like think a lot of themselves, right? Because of certain things that maybe they've done or they've accomplished. And so um in part of getting to know your client, whether you want to call it an intake interview or, you know, this sort of, you know, get to know each other sort of session that might transpire. Again, a lot of my conversation is going to be at, at the right at the beginning when I'm building a pool, getting to know them, is to ask them some of these questions. Right about even you know their their past experiences, their you know their wins, their their greatest accomplishments that they're proud of, right? The different things that they've been through, and and for me, it's not to make an assumption, but it's certainly to get a pretty clear idea pretty quickly on where a person is at. Like if somebody keeps talking to me at the beginning that you know, Debbie, I'm really pretty low on my self esteem and my confidence, then I already know now I'm gonna I'm gonna make attempts to also pay more attention to the things that that person is doing well and to use those as, as coachable moments to boost them up, right? To actually pay attention to the things that they're doing well and for them to actually recognize that for themselves. And I'm going to build in lots of opportunity then for self-reflection in a, in a positive manner so that they actually see the goodness of what they're doing, right? And they, they actually get used to actually, you know, talking that way or, or at least recognizing things. Right. Whereas, you know, some of the other people that I've worked with, they're very, very rah-rah about themselves, right? So they already know I'm getting that feel. So then to be frank, I unless I really am very, very impressed by something, I'm not actually going to, to go out of my way to try and like boost them up further. In fact, for some of those people, some, you know, taming taming of that is probably going to be more beneficial to them. Um clients that I work with also know that. I put that as a disclaimer out there that I will be my style is to be very upfront and direct and, and honest with them and are they okay with that you know because some people aren't going to be they want they want to have a kind of pussyfoot around them but then that's not me 
So how like, is that going to be okay with you? And I'm and I'm putting that disclaimer out there. I'm asking them that question so that they know as well the intent that things are being done in, right? What is my intention as a coach here, and and how is this going to work? And so, um, if I notice, and 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 usually, when I get to a stage with people where, um, I can be quite honest. I'm like, you know, you toot your, you. I this is what I've observed, and you tend to toot your horn a lot, so you don't need me to do that for you as well. You know, you're already very aware of all the things that you do well, so maybe I should be somebody who can, you know, be be that sort of blind spot person for you, and maybe share some of the things that you might not be seeing. So that's how I tend to actually work with this because um, people, at least I don't think, most people don't need to keep being told the things that they're doing well or to keep having that point, right? Personal growth and personal development is, okay, what are the things I need to be doing differently or better? Because usually the things I'm doing well, I already know that, mm-hmm. right? So why do I need to hire a coach then? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? absolutely. I so, think one of the the, the two two points I want to um, touch on here. The first one is, you know, this idea of mitigating the threat response can look exactly like that, just purely acknowledgement and that's it. Then we can move on. Uh, In fact, I remember talking to some, some, a real specialist in the medical field once and I could sense that at the very beginning that they just wanted to impress me for whatever reason with all everything that they that they know and and all the rest of it and I thought but if this continues it's just going to be half an hour or an hour or whatever it is of of them saying look how good I am and we're never actually going to get to where we need to get to so it was simply acknowledgement of well with all your experience you'll you'll already know that dot 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 and it was purely just that one little bit of acknowledgement that then we're happy to move on and it was that it was as simple as that. So sometimes it can very much look like not necessarily, uh, um, you know, boosting someone up unless that's something that they need. In which case, uh, great because they're getting the reward. Their brain is giving them the, the reward, and that's going to help them to pay attention and engage further. So it's going to further um, boost this whole process. Uh, but other times, sometimes it's just a simple acknowledgement. The, the the other point that I wanted to touch on was. Something that you said, which is, I find out more about them, who they are, what's important to them, because that's where, you know, when we when we have that information, that's when we can actually figure out, okay, what do we need to be doing here? Rather than having some blanket, you know, sentence or question or rule that we apply to everyone, it's, I'm actually going to find out more about who this person is, what's important to them, what do they find meaning in, you know, what, yeah. what's valuable in their life, what are their values, like all these sorts of things to then direct mm-hmm. this conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I tried, you know, at the beginning as well, when you're trying to build rapport, I think it's important not to, not to get into the heaviness of sometimes discussion like I think like even for me to ask somebody um you know what where do you see yourself five years from now or what are your values right what are your core beliefs to me those are such heavy topics to start bringing up right initially to to build rapport because most people are going to maybe say well, well you know what I don't know and that I don't know for a lot of people as well can suddenly feel like oh I'm inferior or I should know these things right this coach is asking. and the minute you start making a person you know even if 
consciously, unconsciously, you know, inadvertently, you don't mean it that way. You're trying to perhaps get a conversation going. You know, it can throw a person off. Somebody asked me that the other day, you know, what's your, where do you want to be in 10 years? And I'm going to say to you, like, I was like, to me, at least my perception was this person is very successful. Now, even for myself, it felt like, wow, I don't know where I want to be in 10 years. Like, I better shut up because I'm in front of somebody who's super duper successful. And what are they going to think of me? So suddenly I found myself like just kind of closing up a little bit because my answer was, I don't know. Right. So I think, you know, the questions that we ask as well to try and build rapport, especially initially, you've got to be, you've got to be careful with it, you know, especially in the position of coaching and, and perception that coaches have everything figured out or that if you're like coach, you have to have everything figured out or that you must be at a certain level in your life. And I know that's not me. So I'm, you know, I don't want to actually give off that impression to somebody that they can't feel comfortable with me, right? So I'm careful over not asking like heavy, you know, or loaded questions that a person might not be able to answer. I mean, I've got time to ask those kind of questions, like, you know, five, 10 sessions in, I don't need to do that upon our first meeting. So being willing to kind of keep things somewhat light especially as you build that rapport and paying attention to yourself. You know, earlier you were talking about things to start, things to stop, and you quoted somebody there. Um, I use this for leaders a lot. It was, I think, uh, Peter Drucker, right? He basically, you know, leaders leaders need to, um, they, they, oh, hey, let me get the quote exactly right as well. Um, leaders don't need to learn what to start, right? They need to learn what to stop. Yeah, you know, they we need to be aware of ourselves to know what, what do we need to stop doing? You know, if I keep asking these heavy loaded questions and it's causing a person to feel uncomfortable, well, what do I need to do? I need to change that up, right? I need to actually, you know, think about how to make this an easier flowing space for my client to engage and then for myself to stay adaptable. Like, it's important for coaches to, you know, not be wedded to certain ologies, certain ways of doing things, right? Be flexible in your approach. Remember that the the coaching conversation is a, it's a living, breathing thing, right? It's alive, it's momentous, it's happening in that moment to try and plan for every single aspect of that conversation or every single question you're going to ask to build rapport is, again, not being in the present, right? Mm, so mm. I think... Uh, uncertainty can be a great place to be in with a client because that's where possibility we can explore possibility and potential, but only to the extent that there's a level of certainty going into that, that they're going to feel safe because if not, then we then can have again, a, a potential threat response to certainty. Again, going, just going back to, to David rocks in the absence of safe social interactions. And I'm going to say, Certainty is a big part of that because the brain craves certainty. The brain, but the brain wants to know that everything that it needs to predict coming up in the near future, it, it can predict and it can predict easily based on a template of past experience. So, in the absence of that, there is going to be a threat response, and then people will disengage. So, I think then there's got to be some level of certainty that I'm going to feel safe and comfortable going into the into the uncertain. So again, not diving into these really heavy questions, you know. <laughs> what um what are what are the so we've talked about the close relationship, the harmonious relationship, 
Uh, we've talked about communication. What about this idea of understanding each other's feelings or ideas? So if we say, if we put this in a, in, in a coaching context, it's understanding the coaches or clients' feelings or ideas. What are some of the things that we need to build as skills or bring to this idea of having some understanding for uh, the, the, their feelings and ideas? I guess for me, I mean, here, I think it's going to, and again, sounds basic, right? But it comes down to listening. If you're going to understand something, you've got to learn, to, you've got to be able to listen first and really, like, really listen and register what's being said, understanding your client for the situation that they're in, right? Who they are even in their own lives, you know, what is their identity? What is their their role in their life, the, the role that they play in the, the various, you know, hats that they might be wearing and then, and then actually, you know, taking yourself, not not trying to sort of relate it all to yourself, because again, the minute you do that, you're making it about you. But it's it's it's, you know, letting your client embrace, listening to listening to where they're at, and then, you know, allowing them to kind of embrace their own situation and go from there. I mean, I think at least for me, that's how that's how I tend to do it. Right? If I'm going to understand my client better, I've got to really pay attention, right? dial in to what it is that they're saying what is true for them right what and not trying to relate it to either people I know people I've worked with all my life right but understanding and remembering that hey the client is in their own their own space it's their own life it's their own understanding and interpretations and challenges and dreams and everything and it's it's really removing yourself and everything else away from that right but I know again I can't understand someone unless I'm really like dialed in and I'm listening and so that's why listening and listening actively is a fundamental of what we need to do as coaches too, right? If you're going to spend whole time talking, then you're not, you're not going to understand the client. How do you navigate the world of emotion and feelings when it comes to clients without venturing into what we might call therapy? Mm. <laughs> I know, it's a, we yeah. could probably spend a whole episode on yeah, just that question. And it's hard, right? Because I've got some clients who I've been with for, men, for for years, you know, and it's not about this, like, oh, we're in this codependent relationship or there's this, this, this dependency. It's actually not that. It's because I've got some clients who just want to work on the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. They're high achievers. They, you know, they enjoy having accountability. And so Again, when you've got relationships like that and you've been with some people for years, like my longest client's been with me for seven years, every two weeks without fail. Yeah, 7 a.m. on a Thursday. And it doesn't matter if they're on holiday, I'm on holiday, if I've gone away for, you know, my brother's wedding, like all the way in Malaysia. Like we were on those calls at the same time every two weeks, right? And so it's hard. It's hard to, to not get pulled into you know, maybe an emotional situation or something that they might be sharing. And I think it's, um, you know, this word boundaries that I hear so often, much, much easier said than done. <laughs> They're human, like that's the thing. And I think it's, there are, if I'm being truthful and I want to be truthful, there are going to be times when you get pulled into certain situations. I mean, a client was talking to me about, you know, how, she really struggles. She lives in the States and she really struggles going into grocery stores um, as a as a as a black woman with her family 
really struggles going into grocery stores um, and seeing, you know, anything that might be occurring that is potentially going to cause a threat to her or her or her daughters, right? And because she's in this sort of space of, you know, where there's a lot of a lot of things, unfortunate sort of things happening and um a lot of unfair, you know, a lot of unfair treatment. And she said, and honestly, she got teary and I got teary. Now there might be some people that would say, well, Delia, well, you shouldn't show any emotion, but hey, You're I'm human. Being. I'm human. <laughs> yeah, I'm human. You know, there yeah. was another, there was this other question that came into to debate recently in this coaching forum I was part of with, you know, when you're, what do you do if your client starts crying and you're like, you're, you're right there with them. And there was all these, you know, all these different ideas being circulated around how it should be handled. And I actually then talked about a real life incident, right, where one of my clients, we were having, we had our session, we met in person, we were having lunch, and um, we were sitting across the table, and she talked about something and, and broke down. And I couldn't just sit there and watch her, like, cry. I couldn't do that, you know. So I got up, and I literally went over onto the other side of the table and I gave her a hug and some people were like oh my god Divya like how could you like but that's like where are the boundaries and I said you know what like you you have to at least for me I have to actually like show up as okay yes I'm there as a coach but I'm also there as a human being right and we have like I have feelings like I I and I am an you know I am emotional so when somebody's doing that or somebody's breaking down like honestly it was the it was the only thing that I could think of you know, I got her, did the water thing, handed her a tissue, but I went over and I gave her a big hug and she just said, wow, I really needed that. Now, again, you're going to get a sense as to whether that is the right thing to do. I'm not saying that for every male <laughs> coach, like, go hug all your female clients. I'm not, I'm not saying that by any means, but you've, you've got to sort of listen to your own intuition or your gut feel of what feels right, right, and, and, and what doesn't. So I think emotion is, is part of it. And if you find yourself like crying at every session with your client, your client's not even crying, then yeah, maybe you need to <laughs> I'm a little bit too emotional. Like I need to, I need to rein this in, but I mean, showing emotion and, and yeah, we don't want to get emotionally involved. Right. It's, I think it's, but, it, but sometimes easier said than done. It takes, it, it takes some real practice. I mean, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years examples I've given you were just like in the last couple of months it's not it's not a long time ago and yet you know, I did find myself actually feeling emotional right because I've seen what somebody's going through and it's it's tough but it's also you know I think I guess remembering that you know um, there is a um, there is a coach maybe you know taking a moment I don't know what do you think <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I was re reflecting on all the times that I've had clients break down and cry. And actually, from all the times that I can remember, 90% of them have been within the first session or two when I've just met them. And I've handled them all very differently based on what I felt was the right thing to do at the time. Some of these moments... <clears throat> turned into like real opportunities for growth for that person, like a real recognition of I need to do something about this. And that was an opportunity for us both at that time to say, right, let's, let's, if this seems to be really, really important to you, 
Maybe now's the time to make a commitment to yourself to, to work on this. Whether it's with me or not is irrelevant. You know, make the commitment to yourself. If I can be part of that journey and help you, great. If not, you know, I'll do my best to to refer you to someone. And and sometimes it was the case, refer them to, you know, someone who can help them, um, you know, in terms of more of a therapeutic type approach. Um, but, yeah, sometimes there are real opportunities that come out of that. And also I think um, if we're talking about it in the context of rapport, like – there's nothing like an emotionally significant event that that's going to build rapport. Like it, it, it really establishes. It can, I should say, it provides an opportunity to really establish because it can go horribly wrong too. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I, I was literally just going to say the same thing. It can provide that opportunity if you if you handle it right. If you if you as a coach handle that, you know, with um, a sense of I don't know what the word is. You might want to finish the word off. Sensi- sensitivity, um, yeah. grace, yeah, uh, ma- I was gonna maturity. Say, with a lot of poise, yeah, with a lot of poise and elegance, right? There's a way to handle a situation like that. It's not just to like move on as if you didn't notice it, right? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you're, a bit sen- you're a bit sensitive to this, right? Like it's not. Oh, like, yeah. How- don't right? ju- don't judge. Don't yeah. criticize. Not even in your. You, I mean. We're human beings. Like, if you see someone else breaking down, my first thing is, oh, God, like I feel for you so much right now. Not, oh, you know, you little crybaby. Like, I don't, I'm sure that some people do have those thoughts, but um, like, I can imagine that most of the coaches that get into this field or practitioners get into this field to help other people, they're going to feel a sense of, of empathy. And yeah, it's just, okay. I think maybe the the point that I'd like listeners to take away is we don't necessarily have to have some rule that says, you know, you can't engage on this personal level. Uh, You must sit there and be robot coach, (laughs) right? (laughs) That's not the way to handle it, but it is going to vary from one case to the next. And I think that's the thing, you know, each, each to their own and, and each case by itself, each, each, Everybody is human beings, right? There is no one size fits all. There's not one rule that's going to just be applied to to everybody. And, you know, on this note of even where you've said, you know, sometimes you may have had to like refer somebody to, you know, therapy or anything else. It's also like another thing I see with new coaches is, is your client breaks down and all of a sudden, oh, maybe they need therapy and not coaching. That's yeah. not true. No. Right? That, that's, not, that's not true. Remember, for a lot of people, maybe that's just like, pent-up emotion right that hey finally this is a form of release and I get that out and then now actually I have some I have some clarity or I have this renewed commitment to now myself because yeah I've seen that maybe there's something else that I need to do or this is this is important or more important than I was even letting on like you said right right at the beginning there's some things that clients share that they've never even shared with their significant other so you as that coach, you know, as their coach, become that person. And honestly, what a great honor it is to be that person, you know, that person in their life, right? Um, but, but with that comes, you know, again, like so much more, just like if somebody gets annoyed or angry in a moment, it doesn't suddenly mean that, oh, they have a problem with aggression, you need therapy. It's actually, well, you know, maybe something has triggered that, right? So, so let's talk about it. Hey, I noticed this. So 
Yeah, hundred percent. I, I should clarify that the, the the times when I've referred are like, um, and oftentimes I've continued to work with that person as well. It wasn't like well, I'm, I, yeah. you know, I'm not. I'm. It, it's you know, but I found out they're they're taking a lot of different medications. They've got bipolar. They've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and and maybe some other personality disorders. And I feel like and and they want to they want to unpack the more therapeutic things with me, that's when I'm like, okay, no, you need to work with 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 someone else on those things, but we can also still continue to work on the other stuff that you've raised that's important to you. So, yeah, I should should clarify that. And and, and same thing there, like, honestly, I mean, we could, we could even have, like, a separate conversation on this at another time, but, but for some clients, I mean, therapy and coaching, depending on even the therapist and the coach, right, can just – Works so beautifully together, right? I I found um there was a there was a, a an event that I was speaking at, and there happened to be a therapist that was there, and this was a couple of years ago, and she's sort of local to me as well. But we've, you know, we've been working so beautifully in tandem together with some clients who we've identified, you know, either she has seen, you know, they could they could probably benefit from some coaching and vice versa. But because we understand each other as well. The services are really complementing each other, right? And so clients as well are coming back and going, "Wow, this is really good because I'm de- I'm dealing with the things from like the past that I just couldn't get my head around. I wasn't in a place to really unpack it all, and then I'm actually working on my future stuff with you, and then the goal setting and and this accountability on other actions to move me forward is really helping. But I think the thing is, it's got to be that understanding of you know the coach and the therapist actually. You know, first of all, knowing about each other, and then yeah. and then actually complementing each other. Yeah, but it yeah. Works yeah, definitely. Get 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 a few get a few people around you that you can work with and refer to. Like I've had uh, over the years, um, medical doctors. You know, particularly when we're getting more into the health stuff and more into the 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 high performance and the nutrition and the the biohacking, or you know, getting. Um, hormone levels checked, or these sorts of things. Like you need to have medical specialists that you can refer to. You you, you need to have people in in different fields, and you all work together. So highly recommend that. Uh, and in fact, just just to to finish that story off about the the crying, I just remembered that. In fact, I think probably almost all, if not you know, we're talking 95 percent of people who have broken down in a session have been because I've been the first person that's really listened to them or they've felt has really listened to them in 10 or 20 years or something. Like the first person that's actually just sat there and shut up and let them speak and just almost unload in a sense. (laughs) I mean, if you think about it, how many of us really have those people in our lives? If we really don't. Like we really, really don't like to have somebody just uninterrupted for an hour, just listen. Mm. Like, like not like I don't. First of all, I don't know anybody that 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 has those kind of people in my life or in their lives. Like for me, even it's my coach. My coach is the one that does that. Like that's that's the person that was going to listen to me for an hour, you know, because I I don't have other people that are going to do that. Like not not solely dial in to just hey your life your dreams your obstacles your challenges and then take it a step further to go what do you need me to help hold you accountable to now or how are you going to stay accountable right it's it, so you're right like some people have not had that 
sometimes their whole life. I had a 67 year old who said in 67 years, I don't think I've ever been listened to like this. Yeah. 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 It's, I think it's so common. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, what are your, what's, what's your top takeaway or top tip or insight or something you'd like to share for our listeners, something that perhaps they can put into action? For rapport? Oh, man. Okay. Um, top tip. My top tip. <laughs> Do you want me to go first? I've got one. Do you want me to go first? Yeah. I'll go first. I'll go first because right. right. I don't have one. I'm going to say. Okay. Uh, I think that one of the – I think developing the skill of building rapport with someone, a huge part of that comes down to experience. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is not just having endless conversations with people where you get into flow and you can find that you build rapport, but actually go into each experience and focus on one one thing. Like like have something in mind when you go into that interaction and Im- Im- try to use that to improve while you're having the experience of having the interaction. So it's almost like having um, an intentional interaction where you're enabling yourself to build a skill during the interaction, which then is going to give you a reference experience and and give your build into your nervous system and expand on this template of past experience that your brain can draw on with future experiences that are similar. Having these experiences and varied experiences and almost putting ourselves in all these different types of interactions and being intentional about them and, and having this idea of having a theme or an, an idea or a skill or something that you're trying to develop within that conversation, having more and more of these over time and over the years will build the skill of being able to just build rapport more naturally rather than going in with some you know, seven-step rapport building. Oh, now, first of all, I've got to ask the opening question, then I've got to do the mirroring, then I've got to do the the simple question, then I've got to do the complex question, then I start with the open, and then the closed, and then the, you know, like that's just yeah. silly. I like that. I like yours. Um, you clearly have more time to think about a top tip than more. No, I just came up with it. That was off, that was <laughs> off the top of my head. <laughs> For me, I think it would be um, honestly to – to try building rapport requires effort right and um and it's that willingness to put the effort in somebody who is lazy about building rapport or you know it's just kind of lackadaisical about it the other person feels it as as great as you might think you are at building rapport and forming these connects right it's remembering again in the context of coaching it's it's serious right with a person's life or you know their 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 business or something that is super duper important to them otherwise they wouldn't be there in front of you right so it's putting in that effort to to actually say I'm I'm going to try and there's this willingness to get to know the other person even if that person is a coming across difficult that's when you've got to try even harder right that's where you know because again we don't know what baggage or what stresses or what emotions that person what fears that person is coming into the session with when they're meeting you right so actually you know being in like not 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 being defensive 
right not not thinking like oh this person showed up this way or they looked at me a certain way or their tone was off it's like well you know there's that there's when we when we look at rapport there's also that scale right can we and there's this question can you be in rapport with everybody well i believe that you can but it's the amount of it, it's the amount of reports the degree of rapport that matters and it's it's whether or not you're willing to try because i do believe you can find something right to connect with that person on if you if you're bothered enough to do it right see sometimes what can happen is you could be so thrown off by an individual maybe because of how they look maybe because of how they 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 they, they speak right um maybe because of something else that they've done right and so it throws you off and so you're already in this kind of negative space or your back's already up and then now you're thinking well I have to try more or maybe I'm not going to bother and I've been in that I've been in that boat I've formed assumptions not not in a coaching scenario but just even in friendships you know I've been from like on that verge of not being able to stand a person really because they've just got on my every nerve <laughs> but then one act you know but then I realized it was it was me too because I've already because of one incident that happened right I had then now already with every interaction almost gone into that defensively but what had happened it was like minus 30 outside um we were both stuck in this in in this hall somewhere doing this kind of practice uh for something and there was no heating and what she did what she did was she's like Divya you must be really cold just here share my scarf with me and no kidding I went from like you know minus minus level of whatever on the scale of rapport to suddenly this person like like breaking down all of my sort of defenses and barriers and these ideas that I had formed in my mind about her right to be like actually that was one of the kindest things that somebody's done right and actually she's not and so what did it do it caused me to now constantly make an effort back with her and it broke it right it broke it but it it it, you know it was that that willingness to try and that willingness to just kind of you know assess myself and say well Mm, you know maybe it's not the other person maybe it's me in yeah, that case yeah. it was definitely me right yeah we i think we, we definitely need an episode on self regulation yeah you know like <laughs> if if we're in that position how can yeah. we possibly expect to yeah, actually I, get anywhere with our with our client yeah yeah, yeah. this has been great that, that, that check in that self check in yeah yeah 100% yeah and and all of the things that contribute to that as well yeah. Um, yeah, we definitely need a session on that. Divi, this yeah. has been awesome. Uh, what a great episode on building rapport. Uh, the start of our series, What Makes a Great Coach. Is it what makes a great coach or what ma- makes a coach great? We haven't decided yet. <laughs> we'll decide by the next episode. We'll decide by the next episode, guys. We've got a few of these uh, coming up to share with you. Uh, this has been great. Thank you very much, Divya, and uh, signing off. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Talk to you soon. everyone that's it for this episode if you want to support the show make sure to subscribe leave a five-star review and then head over to brainfirsttraininginstitute.com to join our community of coaches and for resources and products to help you upgrade your brain in life including interviews with leading neuroscientists and health and high performance experts go to mybrainfirst.com thanks for tuning in talk to you soon